the great energy that we just felt. Uh, uh, let, let's pump it up with all of us with a big round of applause for uh, Bob and Jeff and Megan. Big round of applause like you care. That's right. There are little holy Peter, Paul, and Mary. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, and today uh, we have our three worship leaders up here, and we're going to uh, we're going to do a Q and A. And and uh, and I've got some questions in, in case you don't, but I'm going to assume you do. And uh, th this is um, you know there there was a uh, piece that that uh, Megan uh, talked about grumbling and complaining and that sort of thing. And I think sometimes when we we leave uh, a sermon, especially when Joe's preaching, uh, you know. Uh, we leave and, and we might, we might uh, take issue, we might uh, get out of here and not, and, and not agree with something and you grumble and you complain on the outside. And the best way to deal with that is, is to question, is to confront. Um, today we're going to be able to ask questions, ask questions of our leaders. Now these questions, we want the questions to be based on the word. On, on the theology, on the lessons, not on personal styles of preaching or anything like that. that we're going to uh, basically take those types of questions. Now, and remember this, and I know you're all sitting there going, oh, I have to be involved. <laughs> you don't have to be, but we'd like it if you would. Now, remember this. There are no stupid questions. There are only stupid answers. Uh, That's right. We might hear a couple. That's right. Um, and, uh, and, and this is not a contest. This is not to find out who is smarter, who speaks better, who's more intelligent, who's more knowledgeable, who, who, would, be, who would be the pick among the three. Because if that was true, well, Joe and Bruce can just take a walk right now. Don't we know that? We know that anyway. They can just get out of here. Uh, hey, do we get a chance at all? In this? No, you don't get any chance. You have no chances. You do have a chance. Um, and so I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to take just a moment, just maybe 30 seconds. I want us all to bow our heads in prayer. And your prayer is a silent prayer. And all I want you to do is just clear your mind and see if God places anything in your head that is a question, that is something that you wonder about, something that you maybe don't agree on within the <coughs> Christian doctrine that you want more clarified. Let's take a moment, bow your heads, and let that happen. Okay. Also, you want to mention that Jeff is out there? I no. <laughs> also, it, so we don't get bogged down on one particular uh, question and we just sit with it. Uh, when we ask a question of each one of our leaders, each one of them will have two minutes to answer the question. Uh, if at the end of the two minutes we feel that we would like to hear more, uh, as, a, as an entire group, then we'll, we'll go on for another couple of minutes so we don't get bogged down in just one question. I'll start with the first question. 
Believing that God is the very essence of love, it seems contradictory to me that God would punish anyone with everlasting damnation without any chance of redemption in a place called hell. What is your concept of hell? We'll start with Bruce. <laughs> I wanted to go with a light question to yeah, start with. Yeah, because he's the most Something educated. kind of light and airy. I, I really appreciate it. Les told me about the question uh, one minute before nine this morning. And, um, You're prepared. I said I appreciated him you know, starting off with sort of a soft toss kind of a question. So uh, I guess, and it, but it's a, I think it's a great question. It's a, it's a very significant question, obviously. And so um, I think as I've uh, read Scripture and then uh, wrestled with the issue of of uh, hell and eternal separation from God, um, an image that is most significant has has become most significant to me comes. <clears throat> I, if, if you're on the pastoral staff here, you're required to uh, quote C.S. Lewis at least once a week. <laughs> Our senior pastor Steve McConnell is a C.S. Lewis scholar, so this will count as my one time a week for okay. quoting C.S. Lewis. It it comes from the book uh, The Great Divorce, and in in that book. Uh, Lewis pictures hell, if you will, as a, 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 play, a shadowy place, a place where it's always kind of dreary and damp and rainy, and, and those who are in that place uh, find themselves with the desire to uh, be further and further away from each other and from this other place that is bright and real. And in fact, there's a bus that comes from this bright place and it pulls up in the shadowy place and everyone who wants to get on that bus can get on the bus. But, but many of the people who are in that shadowy place choose not to get on that bus because they make all kinds of different excuses. We, we value the open conversation we have here. We think there's work to be done here in this place, dreary though it may be. And then there are others who take that bus ride to the, the bright place, the real place. But then when they get there, it, um, it hurts because the light is so bright and the grass is so green and the sky is so blue, and many of them get back on the bus. They want to go back to the dreary place. And, and Lewis says that, um, that there are those who continue moving further and further away from the bus stop because they can't uh, tolerate being around others. And so that's an image that, um, that God is love. And in God's love allows us to make the choice, even if it's to move further from God and one okay. another. Uh, I'll let you go a little longer, mm -hmm. two minutes and 50 Don't seconds. Don't let Joe go longer. But I thought I, wow. I thought no wanted to be able to finish. And so to uh, so put that in the synopsis, uh, uh, hell is Seattle. Hey. Heaven is Sarasota. So good. Okay. Got that out of the way. Next. Thanks for pulling that Thank down. Thank you very much. Very good. Megan? Sir? You may answer the question. Um, I've always understood from, now I'm not anywhere near as educated as these guys are, but we all have the ability to read scripture, right, and to understand and to draw meaning 
We also have tools and resources that are available to us through biblical commentary that we can learn from. So you don't have to spend 60 to 80, 100,000 on a piece of paper. I'm not asking for a firm number. <laughs> Maybe in the ballpark. <laughs> ballpark it. Um, but my understanding is that hell is the separation from the <coughs> Father. It is a life that is spent away from the one who created you. And it, it is free will. It's a choice. Um, God gives us until our very last breath to come to him and to accept his unconditional love, regardless of who we are, where we have been, what we have done the things that we've said, because the reality is if we were all held to that standard, none of us would make it. But because God loves us so much, he gives us the choice, because he's not some God that's ever going to force anything upon you. He gives you the choice, ultimately, um, to choose him or eternal separation. And the joy that I experience as a Christian, I could not imagine. I can't wait to get to heaven. I really can't. And that's not that I have a death wish. I can't wait to be with you guys all the time and my family and to worship with Pastor Tim again and to worship with other people who have come before. And the only way that I can think about it really is imagine if you played, my grandpap played the same lottery numbers every single day. True story. The one time my Nana did not go and buy his lottery ticket the lot his numbers hit. So imagine that on a much bigger scale. Imagine you had the Powerball ticket, because that's what heaven is. It's the Powerball. And you don't go and buy your ticket. You would live the rest of your life maybe angry, frustrated. You would lash out at other people. It could look like anything. That's what I think it would be like once we get to hell if we haven't accepted it would be like losing the powerball and you've got to live with that every day and it's not just for the rest of your life it's eternity okay seems like how long did i go you were two did and a half that? he was 240 so we're okay. we're finding that let's see, let's see if joe can do better he can't what well <laughs> you you phrased your question at the beginning of it with a concept of absolute God is an all-loving God, and he also ended it with an absolute about eternity without a chance of redemption. So I'd like to answer it in those respects. Good. God is a God of absolutes. As a matter of fact, the scripture makes that very clear. He's, he is absolute love, but he's also absolute righteousness. He's absolute justice. And redemption is also absolute, because once you're redeemed, you are redeemed. God never does a non-absolute job of anything. He is absolute creator. He's absolute savior. He's absolutely the source of all truth. He's absolutely the source of all the morality in the universe. And so in reality, when we think about heaven and hell, it only makes sense when we look at the characteristics of God throughout the scripture. God is absolute in every aspect. So it would be clear to me that blessing would be absolute and judgment would also be absolute. I agree with Megan and Bruce. Hell is actually the separation from God. And if you could imagine with all the things that go on in this world, we are not separated from God here. Could you imagine the darkness in this world if this world became detached from God? One of the greatest preachers of all time, the first interaction I ever had with the gospel and with the idea of heaven and hell was by a, uh, a preacher named Jonathan Edwards when I read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he takes a clear biblical look. Part of the problem with scripture is it says stuff we don't like. And so scripture talks about hell being a place of judgment. 
But the fact of the matter is, the way out of hell is so amazingly absolute itself that the, that, the, that the shadow of hell can be so overcome. Perfect love that you talked about, perfect love, casts out fear. And so I like to approach it in this way. God is an absolute God. Thank you, God, that you are an absolute God. There's no wishy-washiness. There's no, you know, bipartisanship or whatever when it comes to morality. God is God, and everything he does is absolute. That's why we can depend on heaven and redemption. He beat y'all. Mm. He did. Go next. He was under. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Um, uh, I have more questions, but I'd like to open it up to you guys. And uh, J Jeff is back there with a, with a microphone if, if you need it. You don't have to have the microphone and, and in listen, your face the, if you just talk, speak up. The more questions you guys ask, the less I have to answer of his questions. So please. They don't want to answer my questions. <laughs> so uh, anything at all, is there anything uh, that, that you have? And remember, anything that, that, uh, you, that you're curious about at all? Nothing? No? Oh, yes, right here. Okay, she has one. Oh, yeah. You're talking about heaven and hell, so I'm talking about your deeds because it says, you know, oh. your belief gets you there, not your deeds. But when you're dealing with your heart and you're dealing with your voice and the Holy Spirit's voice, how do you know that what you're doing is because you love God and not because you're either trying to mark up points or just doing it because it's what's expected of you as a Christian? And you know what? I had that same question she really did. written down, uh, as a matter of fact. And, and basically, it was based on the fact that there was, there was a teaching uh, here, let's see, that uh, spoke of that. And that was, in every word, thought, and deed should be filled with love, grace, compassion, mercy, kindness, thoughtfulness. And we should actively look for ways to live out and work out our salvation. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And my question along that lines too was, how does that differ from Islamic teachings and the teachings of many other religions that your salvation is deed-based? Um, Do we start here and go back? Bruce? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, yes, we'll start with Joe this time. Um, we, we talked about these issues in, when we studied the book of James, if you remember correctly. We talked about the fact that because God is an absolute God, and because God never, never does a sorry job of giving anyone faith, right? God gives good, perfect gifts. James says, there is no shadow of turning from the Father of lights, giving the idea of the earth turning and the shadow of the moon. He says, when God turns, there is no shadow. He gives every good and perfect gift. And so we know that faith, when God gives the gift of faith, because even though faith is believing, I think we have to make sure we understand without God's intervention, without God's enlightenment, without God drawing us and pulling us, we could never have faith. Faith is a gift. It's not by works or else you'd brag. But what James teaches us and what Paul teaches us is this, that true faith, which comes from God, always results in transformation. I often tell parents when they're asking, you know, I'm struggling with my kid, and I try to tell them, we don't want conformity. Conformity breeds rebellion. We want what I call, and it's not really a real, real word, I make it up, it's transformity. Because transformity is a result of the absolute perfect good gift of faith that God gives us. And as a result, the things that we do in our life that are good are a result of the faith. 
So if you know that your faith is in the fact that Christ did his work on the cross, he died and was resurrected, you know that you are deficient and that Christ is sufficient. And if you have your faith and trust in the fact that Christ is the one that makes you whole, then you have the confidence, and we talked about this in a series when I first came, about trusting redemption. You have the confidence of knowing, man, my faith rocks, and it's causing me to have these good works that James talks about and that Paul talks about. It's a result. Okay, under two minutes. Very good. <laughs> Megan? Um, so we know that we can, and that, that was actually one of the messages that I preached, right? So it's, <coughs> we can't earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God. We can't ever do anything to earn it. We certainly don't deserve it, but because we have a Father who loves us, like Rachel said last week, we are his favorite creation, right? He wants us to be with him, and because of all of the sin in the world, he made a way for that to happen through his Son. But because we, it's not like a one-and-done kind of thing, right? We can't just say, yes, I accept Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, and then kind of sit back and be a couch potato until our number's called. We are expected to be transformed. It is a transforming grace that because you understand this free gift that you have been given that you did not deserve, but because somebody loved you so much, they gave it to you, you want to express your gratitude. You want to share the good news with other, others. And that's where the works part comes in. You see, we'll never be good enough to earn anything. We can't. Because it's a one for one. You're good, you're bad. You're good, you're bad. You can't help it. But we have this work and this goodness in us that is so grateful for the gift that we have been given. It's what causes us to choose grace, to choose love, to choose mercy to do good things because we want to honor our Father, we want to honor the Saving One, and we want to show others what transformation is. Okay, Bruce? Yeah, the thing I don't think I can address is that I'll try to address Cindy's question, and then the interfaith piece is almost as, uh, it's related, but it's a little bit different. So I guess what I, uh, affirming what Joe and Megan have said, I would want to start with a place of, of relationship, that our faith is based on a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's where, that's where that transformation, by the work of the Holy Spirit, that's where that transformation comes from. And so the works that we do, our deeds, our words, they, they are in response to God's love and grace for us in Christ Jesus, the ongoing growth.